I wonder, do you ever think about the future? Of course you do. We all do. Uh, That's what life in many ways is. Uh, We're always thinking, to some extent or another, about the future, even if it's just where our next meal is going to come from. But I wonder how far in the future do you think? Uh, I'd suggest that most people in the world don't tend to think much beyond the end of their own life. Uh, Many people don't even want to think quite that far. Uh, People want to push the thought of the end of their life to the back of their minds. But do you ever think about after your life? Uh, What's going to happen in this world after you are gone? Now, it's possible that Christ might return before uh, you come to the end of your life. I don't know. That's possible. Uh, But it's equally possible that he won't. And it does us good sometimes to think what will happen after we are gone. Because many people can think very selfishly. Uh, They can think merely about what concerns their own life and not think about what happens after. Uh, We had an example of this a few weeks ago when we looked at King Hezekiah. Uh, You might remember if you were here, we were looking at some of the kings of Israel and Judah. And we saw how King Hezekiah um, was rebuked by one of God's prophets And uh, because of uh, Hezekiah's pride, uh, God warned him through a prophet that uh, in later years, his sons would suffer in consequence and the uh, kingdom would be taken away from him, uh, or at least there would be a great loss to his house. And Hezekiah responded, this is good. This is good news because it won't happen in my time. And you think, well, that's a very self-centered response to give. Uh, He said, well, at least it won't happen to me. My children will have to deal with it, but I won't. And so he said that was good news. Well, that's not the attitude of Paul uh, displayed in this letter. Uh, In this letter to Titus, Uh, Paul is approaching the end of his life and his great mission for the latter end of his life had been to preach the gospel. But Paul wasn't merely concerned, although he was concerned, he wasn't merely concerned that he finished his own path well and then not worry about the future. Paul was also concerned that the work of the gospel would continue when he had gone. Paul's concern for the gospel wasn't just a selfish concern of his own because it was his gospel and it was his mission. His concern was with Christ's mission. And that continued whether he lived or died. And so he wrote this letter to Titus, who was one of his Uh, much younger co-workers, uh, one of his co-travellers on his missions to preach the gospel. 
And he writes this letter to Titus, who is in Crete, encouraging him and giving him instruction so that he will continue the work of preaching the gospel when he's no longer, when Paul is no longer there. And he also gives Titus instructions so that the work of the gospel will continue even after Titus is no longer there. Paul's view stretches beyond his own lifespan, and that is the purpose of this letter, to uh, give a lasting legacy so that the gospel could continue to be preached as long as this world exists. That is Paul's burden in this letter. And in the opening paragraph of this letter, uh, Paul Uh, in a very condensed way, explains why the gospel is so crucial. And he describes his mission in a nutshell. And in just, really, three verses, he describes for Titus what his mission given to him by God is. And his desire is to pass that mission on, or to pass the burden of that mission on to Titus, that Titus might feel the burden also. Now listen to what Paul says in the opening three verses. Uh, he says, he introduced himself in the letter, he says, Paul, a bondservant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of the eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised before time again, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Saviour. In just these three short verses, Paul describes his whole life mission given to him by Christ on the road to Damascus. Did you notice how he described himself? He said he was a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I don't know how you describe yourself when people want to know who you are. Um, Most of us perhaps use our job title, uh, whatever our occupation might be. Uh, Perhaps we might describe ourselves as a mother or a father, or uh, perhaps even a Christian first and foremost. But Paul describes himself first and foremost as a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, a bondservant is, put simply, a slave. That's what a bondservant is. The Greek word is doulos, which means slave. Uh, It's translated bondservant in most versions because obviously the word slave has very negative connotations today uh, in light of the recent slave trade and um, all those connotations of the slave trade uh, were not necessarily in place when the word slave was used in the time of the New Testament. That's what the word means. Paul describes himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. He considered himself as owned by Jesus. He wasn't his own. He was Jesus Christ. Uh, a slave has to do his master's bidding. It's not a negotiation. Uh, the uh, master and the slave don't come to an agreement and the slave says, well, I'll do this, but not that. No, a slave is completely owned by his master. His life belongs 
to his owner. And Paul describes himself as owned by Jesus Christ. He is a bond servant. He is a slave. Crucial distinction, of course, is that Paul considered himself the slave of the greatest possible master. Uh, Christ isn't a cruel master. He's not a vindictive master. He's not a tyrannical master like so many slave owners have been in the past. He's a wise master. He's a kind owner. He's a gentle owner. And that was the master who Paul considered himself owned by. But he wasn't just owned by Christ. He also described himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And an apostle means someone who is sent. You'll notice the word post uh, in the word apostle. Uh, You could say um, he was a postman of sorts. That's uh, the essence of what apostle means. It's someone who's sent out with a message. And Paul saw himself as a slave of Christ who was given a message about Christ to share with all who would listen. That's what it meant to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, Unique in the sense that he was directly chosen by Christ. He was an apostle with a capital A, if you like. Uh, We as believers are apostles with a small a. We are sent out by Christ, but not in the same way as the apostles were. And Paul saw himself as a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ to preach the gospel, to preach the most important message that anyone could ever hear. And I wonder, what's the greatest message that you can receive on earth? Probably for most of us, it would be uh, the news of an all-clear if we've got uh, a disease or a fear we have one. Uh, It might be, for some of us, the news that some unknown relative has passed away and left us a great fortune. Uh, For others of us, uh, it might be the news that we've won a place at a university or won a promotion. Uh, These are great messages to hear, aren't they? They bring great joy to our hearts. But Paul says the message he has is greater than all those messages. How do you describe it? Uh, He said in verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Uh, If you get the all clear, that's wonderful news. But you will still die one day. Uh, If you get a wonderful inheritance from someone, that's great news, but that money will take, be taken from you one day and go to someone else and it will be in your will to be inherited by another. Uh, whatever promotion you receive, whatever good news you receive in life, it's only temporary. It's brought to an end with death. But the message which Jesus gave to Paul was a message of eternal life, of health which never comes to an end, of wealth which never rusts away, of a promotion which will never be rescinded. That was the message given to Paul. And so you can understand why he gave his life to it. He wasn't owned by himself. His life was not his own. It belonged to Christ. 
And he had the greatest message to share about Christ, a message of eternal life which can be found only in him. And this message, as I said, was the burden of his life and he sought to share it as far as he could. And he wants to enthuse Titus with that same zeal as he seeks to minister in Crete where he is. Uh, But Paul goes into more detail. Uh, He doesn't want to leave Titus with a a vague idea of what this mission involves. And I don't know if you noticed in verse 1 how Paul describes his mission. Uh, He says in in verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. Now, in that one verse, Paul describes at least three aspects to his mission. His mission, and Titus's mission, and ultimately the mission of all people who follow Christ. And what I'd like to do in just the uh, last few minutes here uh, this evening is look at those three aspects of the mission that God gave to Paul, and which Paul is, as it were, passing on to Titus. And the first part of the mission uh, is Paul saw himself as an ambassador of Christ in order to produce faith in others. Uh, Notice what he says in verse 1. Paul and a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect. That word according is a, is a vague word. And the reason it's vague is because the Greek is vague as well. Um, but what the meaning lying behind it is that Paul saw himself as a slave of Christ and an apostle of Christ in order to promote and encourage faith in others. Not just others, but in God's elect. Paul saw himself as sent out into the world to gather Christ's sheep to him. You might remember what Christ himself said in John's Gospel. And he said, other sheep have I who are not of this fold, speaking of Israel. He said, I have sheep all across this world. And Paul saw it as his mission to preach the Gospel so that Christ's lost sheep across the world could be safely gathered in that they too would come to faith in him. Now, those of you who are uh, theologically astute uh, might object to the language I've used um, in the notes. And by describing this aspect of Paul's mission as being to produce faith. Uh, Because you might say, well, Paul can't produce faith. We can't produce faith. And that's true. We can't. God is the one who gives faith. It's the Holy Spirit working in a person's heart and opening their eyes and granting them faith, which is the gift of God. That is all true. Nevertheless, God uses us to produce that faith in others. Because God uses preaching. 
God uses the sharing of our faith, the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is how God opens up people's eyes. Uh, So we are, if you like, co-workers with God. That is how Paul describes himself at different times in the letters. Uh, God uses our speaking of the gospel to open people's eyes. So yes, it is God's work. It is God who does it. Nevertheless, he uses us in it. Uh, God chooses those who will be saved, but he uses our words to accomplish it. Isn't that wonderful to ponder? We have this wonderful commission given to us by God. In a very real way, God needs us. Uh, Not in the sense that he has any lack in himself, but you could say, in a sense, he has tied his hands to use us. Uh, The gospel won't get to the nations except through us, uh, through our support and our prayers and our preaching of the gospel. And that's the first aspect of Paul's mission that he emphasizes to Titus, that he is an apostle according to the faith of God's elects. And if I can use an illustration which I've used before, which I find uh, helpful Uh, And it was perhaps this sort of idea which was in Paul's mind. Uh, Apparently, during the riots uh, in Palestine in the uh, 1930s, uh, there was a village uh, near Haifa, or Haifa, I'm not sure the pronunciation, uh, which was condemned to collective punishment by having its sheep and cattle cattle, uh, sequestered by the government, taken away by the government, and presumably um, now from that point on owned by the government. Um, But the inhabitants were told that they would be permitted to redeem their cattle and their herds at a fixed price. Um, And amongst these sheep owners was an orphaned shepherd boy. And he only had six or eight sheep. And that was all he had as his possession. Uh, But somehow he obtained the money in order to redeem back these Uh, his um, flock from the government and uh, he was led to the big enclosure where all these sheep were penned and he offered his money to the British government and slightly cruelly the non-commissioned officer uh, in charge uh, welcomed him to um, take his sheep but only if he could pick out his own sheep from the huge flock in front of him and he mocked the little boy's confidence that he would be able to choose his own sheep from the huge flock in front of him. Uh, But the little shepherd boy knew better and uh, quietly he brought out of his pocket his little shepherd's pipe and he blew one note on his little pipe and his own sheep separated themselves from the rest of the flock and they trotted out to him and he was able to redeem his own sheep that's a beautiful picture of the preaching of the gospel Um, the bible describes Christ's sheep as scattered across this world and we cannot see who they are 
But we have, as it were, a shepherd's pipe. Uh, The shepherd's pipe of Christ, which is the gospel. The message of Jesus Christ, how he came and he died for all those who will trust in him. And as we share that message, Christ's sheep hear his voice. They hear and they see, as it were, Christ and they come to him. And that's our mission. That was Paul's mission. That was Titus' mission. And that's our mission, to simply share the gospel of Christ. And Christ's sheep will hear his voice. They will have their eyes opened to see him. That is what Paul is referring to when he's talking about the faith of God's elect. And he was zealous in that task. And he wants Titus to be as well, and by extension, us also. So that was the first aspect of Paul's mission. Uh, His mission was to produce faith, or put it slightly more carefully, to be God's co-worker in uh, reaching his lost sheep. But it was more than that. Paul's mission is more than that. Look what he says next. He says, it's according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth. Uh, Paul didn't just preach a message and merely leave the results up to God. Um, Because the weakness of that illustration I just used is it could make the gospel sound like a kind of magic spell. We say certain words and then we just let people come. But that's not the way Paul saw his mission. Paul wanted people to acknowledge the truth of what he was saying. The second aspect of his mission was to persuade people. Not just to speak and then just see what happened. He wanted to persuade people of the gospel. Now you can see this in many parts of the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Uh, Paul says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. He says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. He wasn't disconnected from the people he was talking to. He had a message and he wanted to communicate it in such a way that people would be persuaded. Uh, Look again at Acts chapter 18, verse 28. Uh, This is referring to Apollos, who was one of the uh, early preachers of the gospel in the book of Acts. Acts 18 verse 28 says that Apollos vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Do you see how the early Christians were engaged in the message they were preaching? They weren't just saying a mantra. They weren't just saying certain words hoping that they would magically do something. They were seeking to persuade those they were listening to. They wanted them to acknowledge the truth. And I just emphasize that because I do fear, and I've seen people like this, who um, sometimes seem completely disconnected from the people they're talking to. Um, I remember seeing someone, or at least hearing of someone in the street once, and um, they would go into the street and they would just walk up and down um, what they would call preaching, but with no interaction with those they were seeking to speak to. 
I had another friend who went and stood listening to someone who was um, preaching, or in this case, really just shouting in a street. And this friend of mine, who was a believer, but just stood listening, uh, stood listening there for a long time. But the preacher never engaged with him, never talked with him, never communicated with him one-to-one to see if he understood what he was saying. He simply said his piece and went off. Do you see, we've got to be engaged with the people we are talking to because we want to persuade people of the truth. We need the Holy Spirit. We need God to work. Nevertheless, our hearts should be engaged with the people we are speaking to. Paul's heart was. Uh, You can see it all the way through his letters and through the book of Acts. He wanted people to hear the truth. He wanted them to believe. He wanted to persuade people. He wanted them to acknowledge the truth of who Jesus was and what he had done. And that's the second aspect of his mission. He wanted to preach the gospel to God's elect, but he also wanted people to acknowledge the truth of who Jesus was. This leads to the third and last aspect of his mission. And the third and last aspect was Paul wanted to promote godliness. We've seen how he wanted to produce faith. He wanted to persuade people, but he also wanted to promote godliness. Look again at verse 1. It says, Paul, a bondservant of God and the apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness. Uh, For Paul, godliness was not like an add-on to the gospel. He didn't preach the gospel to people and get people saved, or the Holy Spirit saved people through Paul, and that was the end of it. And then godliness maybe came later. No, for Paul, godliness, becoming more like Christ, was a pivotal part of the purpose of the gospel. Uh, The gospel wasn't just to get people safely to heaven. The gospel is also to make people more like Jesus Christ before they reach heaven. That's why Paul describes the truth as the truth which accords with godliness. In other words, what he's saying is, if someone says they believe, if someone says they believe the gospel, but their life is unchanged... If, if the gospel has no effect, no practical effect in their lives, then they haven't really understood the truth. They haven't truly believed the truth. Because the truth which Paul was sharing, the truth of the gospel, is a truth which accords with godliness. It produces Christ-likeness in your life. Not perfection, but it creates a change in our lives. And that's why throughout the letters, if you read them, Paul is constantly exhorting and encouraging and rebuking his listeners, walk closely with Christ, listen to his teachings, follow after him, pursue godliness, uh, shun evil, because that's a crucial part of why God saves us. Uh, Not that God saves us because we're good, God saves us in order to make us good. So as we progressively become more like Christ, it's the evidence that the gospel has truly had an impact in 
our life. That was the third aspect of Paul's mission, to promote godliness, to make people more like Jesus Christ. I heard a story which uh, illustrates this to some extent. There was once a young boy who was on an errand for his mother, and he had just brought a dozen eggs. And, but as he was walking out of the shop where he had bought the eggs, the co-op or whatever it was, uh, he tripped and he dropped the sack which had the eggs in it. And all the eggs brought, broke and they splattered on the pavement. And the boy desperately tried not to cry. And a, a few people gathered to see if he was okay and to tell him how sorry they were. And they all expressed their pity towards the boy. But then one man handed him some money. He handed him a two-pound coin. And then he turned to the group and he said, I care two pounds worth. How much do the rest of you care? Do you see the point? His pity, his care translated itself into some sort of action. All the rest expressed their pity with words, but it hadn't yet reached action. But that man's had. And that's what the gospel should be like with us. If we truly believe the gospel, if we truly believe that the gospel is the gospel of eternal life, that those who repent and believe in Jesus Christ will have life for all eternity and life in all its fullness then that has to have an effect in our lives. It has to affect our lives personally, because if we have eternal life, then that should affect our priorities now, shouldn't it? Uh, If we've got a home secured, fixed for us in heaven, then the things of this earth should seem less important in comparison. Not unimportant, but it should be in right perspective. And in terms of sharing the gospel with others... We should see the desperate need others have and the wonderful privilege we have that we can share such a message. That's what the gospel should do in our lives. It should go from our heads, a belief we have about Jesus, and it should work itself into action, acts of pity, acts of care in our life. So those are the three aspects of Paul's mission that he condenses down in this first verse. Uh, He was seeking to produce faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. He was seeking to persuade people of the truth of the gospel. And lastly, he was wanting to promote godliness in God's people that they might become more like Jesus Christ. That was the great task of Paul's life, and it shines out in almost every sentence he ever wrote. But it wasn't just Paul's task. Uh, As I've sought to say all the way through this message, uh, it wasn't just Paul's personal mission, a unique mission given to Paul because he was the great apostle. It was the mission given also to Titus. And it's the mission given also to us, We live at a different time. We live in a different place. Uh, We have different giftings, perhaps, to what Paul or what Titus had. But nevertheless, our mission is the same. Uh, Look at what Paul says to Titus in verse 5. 
He says, for this reason, I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Do you see what Paul's doing? Do you see how Paul is looking beyond the end of his life and his zeal for the mission is extending beyond his death? And he's saying, I left you in in Crete, Titus, so that you could set things in order, so that you too could make my burden, the burden Christ laid on me, your burden in Crete. And I want you to appoint elders so that they can pass the mission on to others. And so on, and so on, until we get to where we are today. That's what our desire should be, that the gospel should go out and keep going out for as long as this world exists. Sadly, so many churches uh, can become uh, just social clubs, can't they? I'm sure we've all been to churches and seen churches where it's just become a little kind of group, a little friendship group, and people have lost sight of the mission. They've lost sight of the point why the church exists. But this letter of Titus is written so that we wouldn't lose sight of what our purpose is. Our purpose is to share Christ. Uh, Our purpose is to show people Christ by our lives and by our words. I'll say it again in closing. Uh, It won't look the same for all of us. Not all of us will be an Apostle Paul um, going off on missionary journeys and preaching to people who've never heard the gospel before. Uh, We're not all, that is not the job that all of us must do. But all of us must be involved in it in some way, whether it's by prayer, whether it's by financial aid, whether it's talking to our neighbour, whether it's talking to our friends, our family. We're all part of this bigger mission. Uh, Jesus said, didn't he, before he went back to heaven, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Uh, I always have that word ye, uh, because ye is plural. Jesus didn't say to each of us as individuals, go you into all the world. That'd be a burden, wouldn't it? You yourself as an individual, you've got to go through every nation of the world preaching the gospel. Jesus didn't say that. He said, go ye, all of you, collectively, together. Work together as a church. Support one another. Help one another and complete the mission. That was Jesus' burden to the church and that was Paul's burden passing on to Titus. And over the next few weeks, trustfully, we'll see Uh, how that manifests itself in our lives. And it might surprise you uh, some of the ways in which uh, we complete the mission in our everyday lives. Uh, But we'll close it there and we'll sing our last hymn, number 333. Uh, 333. And it's a hymn which uh, is all about the church. Uh, The people who God has saved to, and has sent out into all the world to preach the gospel. It's number 333, glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion city of our God. He whose word cannot be broken formed thee for his own abode. So let's stand to sing in closing 333.